Hey everybody, Chris Fafalius here. If you enjoy One Hit Thunder, which I'm assuming you do considering you're listening to it right now, I want to tell you about another great music podcast on the Evergreen Podcast Network. It's called Riffs on Riffs. On this season of Riffs on Riffs, hosts Toby Braswell and Joe Watson are breaking down one iconic pop song each week. Everything from Taylor Swift's Cruel Summer to Journey's Don't Stop Believin' to Naughty by Nature's OPP. Each week, they crack open the song, trace its history, decode those cryptic lyrics, and unearth the hidden gems in its musical DNA. Not only do they dive into the song's history, lyrics, and impact, they also go down some fun and oftentimes hilarious rabbit holes. So yeah, if you're a fan of One Hit Thunder, I think you'll also enjoy Riffs on Riffs. So go hit that subscribe button on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your pods. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, do you have an idea for a podcast but don't know where to start? Or do you have an already existing podcast that you want to take to the next level? Well, check out WeKnowPodcasting.com. From concept development to theme music to editing to logos, WeKnowPodcasting.com is a one-stop shop for all things pod. Don't hesitate to hit us up. We're very nice. I remember when, I remember, I remember when I lost my Chance meeting of CeeLo, Green, and Danger Mouse led to the creation of the group Gnarls Barkley, who exploded onto the charts with their massive hit Crazy. Surprisingly, the collaboration of these two well-known artists never produced another mainstream hit. Geekscape's own Katie L. Sasser joins us this week to talk about everything from comedy to spaghetti westerns, and if we remember when we lost our minds about this undeniable 2006 hit. Hey, Katie, welcome to One Hit Thunder. You're on the show. Thank you so much for having me. It's great to be here. You chose Crazy by Nurls Barkley. And the first thing I want to talk about with this song is a little a little fact that I learned today about this song is that it developed from a conversation between CeeLo and Danger Mouse about how people won't take an artist seriously unless they're insane. So they started jokingly discussing ways to make people think they were crazy. CeeLo used that as an inspiration for the lyrics. And then he recorded the vocals for this song in one take, which we'll get to. What? Yeah, right, right, yeah. But do you find, is there merit in that statement? Do people not take artists seriously unless they're insane? 
How do you feel about you know, that? You know, it's an interesting question. And I do feel like that has been something that people have been given a pass on for so long. It almost felt like Elizabeth Gilbert gives this really great talk about how like we need to move away from the idea that like the genius or whatever it, that's inside of us is like a separate entity. We need to move away from that being like ourselves and make that something a little bit separate for like our mental health reasons. And I really agree with that. Because I do feel like we have glorified sort of the tortured soul of like artistry in any capacity. And I think it's best that we're, I do feel like there are some things that are moving away, especially in the comedy world. (laughs) There's, you know, a big deal going on, especially right now where, you know, crazy, insanely aggressive men are usually at the top and they have not made way for many women. And I feel like that is starting to change in a lot of different areas of entertainment. And I'm hoping that that's, you know, changing. But yeah, I do think that is the absolute case is that people glorify craziness a little too much. I would agree also that I think that in I would not just say comedy, but I would uh, obviously I'm a wrestling fan. So that comes to mind as well. And I'm sure also in music and even in film, I think if you look at like the 80s and early 90s, there was this like celebration of alcoholism and drug abuse that definitely is not the norm. Like I think that like now it's like we do want our entertainers to be like trying to be a more straight laced, healthy meeting with a you know therapist person right, right. as opposed to like checking no, in in life. Yeah, yeah, like oh, I can't see a therapist. That'll ruin my creativity streak. And it's like no, right. no, that's well. I I think there is something to be said about like true artists who like tap into like some different level of like consciousness that that can appear as something very crazy. Like there's a poet named Kay Tempest, and they're fantastic and they talk about how like you know there's things that we don't see that like really bring it's gonna rhyme that really brings about poetry you know like they talked about like stories of like brand new ancients like we have these different things like these older stories that we kind of hold and revere in terms of like former artistry and how current day artistry needs their own brand new ancients tapping into that level of like thought process and creativity I can totally see how people can see that's crazy. You have to be on shrooms or some shit just to understand that level of understanding. But I I think we are moving away from glorifying craziness or. I guess also there are different definitions of crazy. What, what do you think of when someone says crazy? What's the first thing that comes to mind? Screaming white woman. Okay. All right. (laughs) Just me. Okay. Uh. (laughs) Because I guess when I think of crazy, I think of, I, I I hate to say this, but I think of like a schizophrenic person. Yeah. And yeah. it's a shame that I think of that, but I think that's kind of the common thought in some idea in, in one way or, or another. But crazy can mean a lot of different things. I think when it comes to artistic pursuits, be it music, be it acting, be it any mm-hmm. any sort of art, that crazy is a good thing when it means eccentric and creative and not a person in you know a polo shirt going to a nine to five nothing against that i'm just saying (laughs) i'm just saying that that could be considered people might think that i'm crazy i live a weird life not a like out of control all of us yeah we all do right we all live pretty much anyone under the geekscape label i think there's a little element of crazy crazy. in our pursuits (laughs) yeah you know but i also think of 
the good crazy and bad crazy of like, okay, I could very easily see people saying like, Joaquin Phoenix is crazy. Like his personality sure. is crazy. And I don't know, in his roles and stuff, I'm like, oh, that's a pretty good thing. I haven't heard about him doing anything too bad or Untoward. anything. Yeah, he's a different crazy than, say, a different Joker actor like Jared Leto, well, who's yeah. like, you know, sending dead animals crazy because right. he's a quote unquote method actor. Method actor. <laughs> right. Oh. Talking about like the changes of the time and like changes of perspective, like method acting is very looked down on now, um, which I personally agree because I think we should be, you know, saving our artists from <laughs> certain doom or, or non mental health. I think everyone should be going to therapy or like exploring a the deeper meaning behind their own thoughts and actions. It's funny. I never knew this about this song. This is a way deeper song than I ever would have imagined. You know, I think about it in the world of music that I came up in and you had these guys, be it Bert, who was the singer of the used or like Mm -hmm. Max from say anything, wild, crazy lyrics, or maybe a wild, crazy persona. And (laughs) yeah, it was glorified. And those guys, came through in the the music and whether that was sort of a show they put on or not I don't know I can't uh-huh. speak for that it seemed pretty authentic with those particular people we could think of a thousand uh, you know mo- most bands that were popular and interesting there was to a certain, a certain extent time yeah Kurt Cobain <laughs> like yeah. you know well I was gonna uh-huh. say that the Max Bemis one's a great example because Max Bemis makes me also think of Alanis Morissette in a weird way of like both of them had a slightly similar career issue where Alanis Morissette blew up as the angry woman and sure. Max Bemis blew up as like the dude who's like struggling with his mental health. And then once Alanis Morissette stopped being angry and Max Bemis started getting medicated and like living a healthy life, people also became less invested in their music, which is like mm. upsetting. That shouldn't be the the message. If that, like, those should be victory right. stories. Yeah, <laughs> true. You got a point, but if that's your thing, yeah, then <laughs> then you're you're kind of screwed, right? That is that is the interesting thing, especially for artistry. Is gosh, I forget the comic, but he talked about how like. He felt like he was so attached to his depression that if he had gone on medication, that it would change his comedy forever. And how much his therapist was like, no, you should go just to have a better life. And he did. And he's like, my comedy is kind of the same. I make the same stuff, but I get to sleep at night. You know, (laughs) like I I have a better quality of life. And I think it's the same reason why it's like, well, you know, maybe maybe some reality TV shows aren't something that we should continue showing because people will get invested. Right. <laughs> we'll get sure. the internet. Look at it. We've got so many things that we can look at, but investing in like personal health, I feel like it shouldn't be attached to like, all right, so what med have I not gone on in order to accomplish this piece of art? <laughs> yeah. People are entertained by it. And it's funny you bring that up yeah. because I just in the past hour or two had made a post about my girlfriend got Got me in. I say got me into. She puts it on and then I watch it. But 90 Day, this show. Oh, 90 Day Fiance. Well, yes. (laughs) But the 90 Day, the single life featuring Big Ed and Natalie from past seasons. And it's just the worst human beings imaginable Mm -hmm. doing and saying the worst things. And we're watching it and we're entertained by it. 
you know? Right. And, yeah. But like, what what is it in us that finds that so fascinating? Is it the like comparison of other, or is it the like I would never do that, or is it the like interest in like destruction? <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, to to bring this back to Gnarls Barkley and crazy <laughs> right. a little bit. Uh, another thing. And Katie, I want to talk to you about this because I'm sure you and Matt know a lot more about this than I do. I don't know why I'm assuming that. Maybe you don't. Maybe. <laughs> but I have heard this term so many times, and it wasn't till today when I really dove into it that I understood what a spaghetti western was. And oh, yeah. Because the sample, okay. the sample in this song is from a spaghetti western uh and it's from specifically the song is called last men standing by jean piero reverbery and jean franco reverbery and it's from the 1968 spaghetti western django prepare a coffin which is the unofficial prequel to the better known django uh crazy not only samples the song but utilizes the parts of the main melody and chord structure so the original songwriters these italian guys are credited Uh, alongside Gnarls barkley for this song wow with CeeLo green and and death yeah that's insane okay we're gonna have to go back because um i i don't think i do know what a spaghetti western means okay i can tag in on this well (laughs) yeah okay go ahead matt i mean it's the the short version is a spaghetti western um is a Western made in Italy. Oh, what? Does that sound like the most American thing we could ever yeah. freaking do? It's, it's, <laughs> it's a, a meatball movie. There's a very oh, specific look and vibe to them. A lot of the people who later went on to make Jallo horror, which is like a very specific type of Italian horror film, got their start as directors of photography on these Western films. So hmm. like... Italian films specifically in the 70s and I want to say even into the 80s had these very vivid color palettes and were very atmospheric and very like drawn out slow burns and they applied that aesthetic to a Western. So like a lot of early Clint Eastwood movies like The Good, The Bad and The Ugly is technically a spaghetti Western. It was shot in Italy. But that's like a Yeah, you know what I mean? Like that three hour really drawn out but like when the violence happens it's really in your face type violence instead of just like the 1950s there's a guy on the roof and they shoot a gun and he just falls off the roof and that's the end of it like they'll show the explosion of someone getting hit with a bullet and like the very paint red blood exploding out of them and stuff like that something i learned that relates to this song a lot is that spaghetti westerns as Compared to the classic American Westerns where there was a black and white good and evil, like it was very clear cut who was the good guy, who was the bad guy. Well, there was way more of a moral gray area, like the protagonist may have not been that great of a person, which, you know, we're used to that now on every HBO (laughs) show. If you watch Succession (laughs) or The Sopranos or whatever, we're used to that. But at the time, that was kind of a newer type of thing. And the Spaghetti Westerns had a lot lower budgets than of our country. The cheeseburger Westerns, as we call them. Yeah, whatever they are. Uh, But our Westerns, the ones that inspired these, they had big budgets and they could hire like orchestras to do the score and stuff. But these low budget Italian ones, they didn't have as big of budgets. So... They had scores where they replaced the orchestral sounds with things like whistles and 
most importantly to our discussion today, electric guitar. So it was yeah. very. Oh, that makes so much sense. Yeah, it was very but, twangy and verbed out and awesome. Very minimalistic instrumentation on the scores. And hey, Katie, I do. Do you have a musical background? Uh, I don't um, know your I background. I played percussion in middle school okay. band. <laughs> okay. And then that's pretty much the extent of it. I was in many musicals um, to which a director told me I had two left feet and couldn't sing. Uh, okay. All right. All right. Well, I only... <laughs> but those are my experiences. <laughs> I, I, I ask that because I didn't want to talk down to you or uh, and I, no, I also I, and I also didn't want you know just just to see where where we're coming from here but <laughs> what but, level of common knowledge we have right. no I get it I, I have friends who are composers and who are who work in you know the music industry and I am fascinated by it because it feels like how in-depth I get with comedy and mm-hmm. like um, different techniques right so it's like it's fascinating to me I can't do it with my own body uh, and singing vocal cords but I am I'm very impressed by people who do understand this. <laughs> right. So what, what I was getting at, and I, you, you understand what I'm getting at here, is yeah. in these spaghetti westerns, a lot of times the music represented trouble. There's trouble on right, the horizon right, in the films. Right. And these <gasps> and this this music that you heard, like the song Sampled and Crazy, um, yeah. used a lot of minor chords, which created an ominous feeling behind the whole thing and that is so fascinating yeah okay. and in these you know these sort of uh scores that had these very minor feels they would have an occasional major tonality which represented a form of heroism in the movie so out of nowhere you'd get these Ooh. major chords mixed in it and it just it made you whether you knew why you were feeling the things you felt it made you feel yeah. something you know a hundred percent. And I, I remember when this song came out, it was like, what is this? Like, what, like, when did we bring funk back on top of like all this other stuff? It was so different at the time. And and then I remember not long after that, the like the YouTube graphic, I think that it was just the lyrics. It, it was just a full video of just like the lyrics. And that was cool. And, and their music video. But I, I remember being obsessed with this song when it when it first came out. Uh, yeah, that's what I was going to ask you next is, did you choose this song because you were a fan of it? Yeah, well, I was a fan of it. And it's also one of those things where, like, you, you know, you we know CeeLo, but we don't know, like, the band Gnarls Barkley as much because they weren't quite nearly as, like, commercially successful as, you know, his his next song that kind of blew him up. But trying to look at CeeLo's like history and like I would go in and I found Gnarls Barkley and I was like, oh, this is so interesting. And um, and Death Mouse has done things with so like Nora Jones and yeah. like all sorts of different artists. And like I, I ended up being like, I actually had no idea who the other person was in Gnarls Barkley. Right. Danger Mouse actually produced oh, one, Mouse, of, one of my absolute favorite albums, which is The Mouse and the Mask. And it's. Danger Mouse providing all of the music and MF Doom rapping over all of it, but it was oh sponsored by Adult Swim, so every single song is about the original Adult Swim cartoons. But more importantly, the reason why I'm bringing that up, not just to shine a spotlight on it, it's actually where CeeLo Green and Danger Mouse first collaborated on something, and then that kind oh. of led into them doing this Gnarls Barkley project after doing that album. Something that actually I thought was really cool while doing the research is that this to them was a pet project that they didn't think anyone would care about. So they completely funded it between the two of them. And no according to Danger Mouse, 
they didn't have a formal record contract until the song had started to hit number one in countries because oh, this was just like them independently releasing this song and it blowing up. And then like Atlanta and Warner brothers, like suddenly wanted to sign them for the album. They're like, yeah, cause we want to use it in all of our trailers. <laughs> uh, why did they even need a record label at that point? What year is this? 2006 so it's right on that yeah. weird cusp, cusp of okay. stuff yeah that not really digital yeah it was around the start of youtube too yeah interesting question about that chris is that when this became the number one song in the uk it was the first single to ever top the uk chart purely on its download stats so that's like how early we were into the digital age of song wow. downloading even counting as like record sales wow so this was this so was fast. right on that cusp where if it was a few years later, there's no way. Why would they sign to a record label? If you're, if you're already not, you already have the number one song and you didn't need to give, you know, a significant portion of the money away to a record label. Why would you do it? It makes yeah. no yeah. sense. You know, record labels really are going by the wayside nowadays for the you know, for the most part, there's still some some standing strong. But I don't think that will be a thing in 20 years from now why no. why would it need to be i'm sure there will be other things and and you'll have more of a team around you i think of people that you hire to do specific things that's a whole other conversation well hey friends my name is zach lupiton you may know me from the band dust bowl revival but i also host a music discovery podcast called the show on the road for the last five seasons, I've been able to dive deep and have intimate chats with folks like the Lumineers, Andy DeFranco, Wolfpack, Keb Moe, Lake Street Dive, Bela Fleck, and more. So guess what? After 150 conversations with some of my favorite songwriters from around the world, we are bringing brand new episodes to the Osiris Network. New interviews and intimate acoustic performances will be coming at you this summer. And which episodes are coming next, you ask? I am Zach Goody, the lead singer for the band Smash Mouth. Our band is called Milky Chance. We are based in Berlin. My name is David Shaw. I sing and write songs with my band, The Revivalists. Trust me, these conversations go some wild places. So subscribe to the show on the road on Osiris, and we'll see you soon. Ever wonder what a punch from Elton John feels like? Or how you cope with having turned down the chance to be in Nirvana? Or what signal Keith Richards gives when he wants you to get the hell out of his hotel room? Fans of Too Much Effing Perspective don't have to wonder, because they've heard these exact stories and a jillion others on our podcast. I'm Alex Hoffman, former tour manager for Radiohead. And I'm musician and comedy writer Alan Keller. On the TMEP show, we get guests like Nancy Wilson from Heart, Jeremiah Freights from The Lumineers, and Modern Family's Julie Bowen to tell us things they may have only shared with their therapist, clergy, or a TMZ stringer. So join us on Too Much Effing Perspective. That's E-F-F-I-N-G Perspective. The only podcast you crank up to 11. Hey guys, it's Matt. Just interrupting the episode real fast to say, hey, do you like coffee? I know Chris and I do. So if you're a fan of coffee, how about you head over to rootlesscoffee.com, which you may remember is run by past guest Jono, and get yourself a bag of some coffee grinds. If you use the promo code OHT, all caps, 10, you will get 10% off your purchase, and a little bit of that money will come back to Chris and I. So it's a great way to help support the show and get a great cup of coffee. And now, back to the episode. 
I think that this song was just shoved down everybody's <laughs> throat so hard. There is that. <laughs> I, I wish that I could have heard it in a different context, like okay. have experienced it without it being thrown in my ears nonstop for, you know, a decade and a half. You know, sure. I think that is, you know, when I was listening to the song and like analyzing it for today's show, I'm like, this is a damn good song. It is. It is. What's funny is that when I wrote, like when I was putting the lyrics into the document for us, if you were to just strictly look at the lyrics and not have any understanding of the song beyond just like hearing it one time, it's really hard to place the lyrics to the melody. Like he sings the lyrics in a very strange cadence where like sometimes he'll just for a full bar, he might only sing three words, but then like in that same amount of time, we'll then immediately sing like 15 words. Yeah. Yeah. And, and you know, and I think why that is Matt is because like we said, he did this in one take supposedly. So he's, he's going up there. That that itself is crazy to me. (laughs) What I read was that not only was this done in one take, but it was the first time he ever sang the lyrics. Like he had written them down and just went into the studio and started singing them for the first time in the version that you're hearing. What? And that's insane. (laughs) And I can speak from some experience about this. Sure. When you do that sort of thing, because I have experience of this in a couple ways. One is when I'm making demos and just sort of singing like stream of consciousness type things just to like try and play around things I wouldn't do in front of anybody just because like (laughs) it's so ridiculous it's almost like a warm-up yeah and sometimes you'll stumble on something that if you are trying to write in like a musical way you're never going to you know and (laughs) a a really good example of this is there's this band called the Vipers (laughs) that's that's a a street punk band that I may or may not know something about, but all of the songs for this band, look up their album, Vipers spread the poison. It's on all the streaming formats, but all the the songs, I love it. All the songs were written in one night, basically, and on a voice memo. And the way that the melodies and lyrics were on the original voice memos from that night are the way that they stayed. Oh, even when sometimes the melodies or words ran over like too long on the line and stuff. And that is, it's such a strange way. Another artist that comes to mind is the streets. Mike Skinner does a lot of these like strange melodies that if you're trying to be, I don't know if the right word is correct musically, it would never (laughs) work. And I think that this, this all relates back to what Matt was saying about how, if you were writing this if you were reading this you wouldn't know how this is going to fit how it goes well i mean and i'm sure this is on like some karaoke bar or something like that and then like that's when you realize when you don't have CeeLo singing along with you you're like how does he do this (laughs) like the idea that he kind of went into his studio and just kind of this was the very first time he's singing it i think ironically the part that that makes the most sense that this is a single one take is the part that became a tiktok challenge last year which is the Wait. who do you think you are challenge where uh, people would lip sync to who do you, who do you, who do you, who do you think you, you are? Think you are. Ha, ha ha ha. Bless your soul. <laughs> Which absolutely feels like someone just in this, in the booth and then realizing that they still have about 15 seconds left before the chorus kicks in. <laughs> <laughs> Fair. 
Fair. Hey, something <laughs> I, I noticed about this song, just I didn't read about it anywhere. I'm just looking at the lyrics and I noticed. And this is kind of a rare thing, especially for a radio hit, is that all three of the choruses in this song, the words are different. So the first verse is, does that make me crazy? Right. Possibly and it then. ends with. The second one is, I think you're crazy, just mm-hmm. like me. And the third one is, but maybe I'm crazy. Maybe you're crazy. Maybe we're crazy. Probably. So it's the same <laughs> melody, but to sing along to it, you had to have like really switched it up the all three times. Yeah, you had to really do your I research. I never realized, but it's like, yeah, though, because, well, I mean, usually when you're hearing it, you're either hearing, hearing it on a trailer or just a TikTok challenge or something like that. But yeah, no, in the radio, you really had to remember, oh, yeah, this verse is different yeah. than the other chorus. Not easy to sing along to is, is my point. But, you know, which yeah. is, is rare for such a popular song i mean i feel like this had to be one of i can look matt sent me notes about it but this had to be one of the most popular songs that year oh i would imagine it's insane that it wasn't it was much bigger in the uk than it was in the states it was still massive in the states it never reached number one in the united states it reached number one in the uk and it actually was the number one song in the UK, it matched the length of the time that Queen's Bohemian Rhapsody was the number one song in the UK. Like, that's the longevity oh, wow. that the song had there. It peaked out at number two. It couldn't get past Promiscuous by Nelly Furtado was, like, <laughs> locking down that number one spot. But this song wow. sounds nothing. Like, let me read off some of the other songs that were on the charts. This song sounds nothing like what else was happening on the radio. Right. You had Me and You by Casey, Hips Don't Lie by Shakira, Snap Your Fingers by <laughs> Little John, Riding by Chamillionaire, and Over My Head Cable Car by The Fray. Like, this was all over the place. Like, it was every time I look at the lyrics and I think about parts of this, even think about. You know, the song begin. the first verse is like starts with the I remember when I remember I remember when I lost my mind, which you would think then you get into verse two and verse two starts off with I hope that you're having the time of your life. Like it is a completely different melody than the first verse by the time you get to just the second verse. (laughs) I mean, it just must have really pushed the buttons of like it's a great beat. And you have CeeLo with a, a cool, interesting voice singing over it. He's, he's hitting those. There's soul in his voice. So right. Rego- right, which is yeah. not something that we were really hearing at the time. Like with this, like this specific type of sampling, I, I didn't know it was from a spaghetti Western, but like that's so interesting and fascinating because I just thought it was just a funk beat. Like that's mm. all I thought it was. And like we hadn't really heard funk in a lot of years <laughs> unless you went to a jazz concert. <laughs> right. That, that's pretty crazy. And <laughs> crazy. <laughs> you know, I got to be honest with the both of you though here you hate it no i don't hate it i think it's a good i think it's a good song i do agree with you that it has been played to death <laughs> well yeah it's been played to death it was played so much that i never dug into the album i th- yeah. today was the first time i ever put on the album and mm-hmm. i'm listening to it today and this should so be up my alley i <laughs> i like soul music i like music that doesn't sound like other music I, I, I like inventive beats and yeah, the, the sure. sampling, the spaghetti Western. That's so awesome. All these things. Yet I'm listening to this album today and I'm like, I 
don't like this. And I don't know why. I almost <laughs> I almost feel guilty about not liking it because I like things that are different. And it does sound yeah. different. It's just not that good. And I think that might be why this Gnarls Barkley thing was a one-hit wonder. Is this particular song hit, even though it shouldn't have, for all these reasons we're talking about, it was stream of consciousness style, one take recording, all the choruses are different. A lot of like the um, typical songwriting, like what makes a hit song style of songwriting is not happening here. And it's also not happening on the rest of the album, probably because to your point, Matt, they made this thinking it wasn't going to be a successful thing. And then this song took off, which might explain like why more thought wasn't put into the rest of it. But that makes sense. if either of you have a counterpoint, like, yo, I like this album a lot. I, I would love to hear it. <laughs> I, so I do like the album. I, I liked, I actually bought the album because I liked the second single a lot as well, which was a cover of the violent femmes gone, baby gone. But I can answer all of your questions with a direct quote from danger mouse. Cause for whatever reason, there was a ton of speculation on what their name meant which to me just seems like a very clear pun on Charles Barkley. But he said, just like everything else on our album, there was no conscious decisions being made about our name. Right. That makes a lot of sense. Well, and honestly, I haven't even heard the rest of the album. Uh, I looked it up and I was like, oh, I should probably listen to this at least for this episode. But then I lost time. I think I agree (laughs) in that like, there was something magical about that song that just hit everybody in the right spot at the right time. And then everything else was like, okay. <laughs> but I, I think I could also make the argument that, like, to go back to the quote about there was no conscious decisions being made about anything. Okay. Like, I think that's why the album is not that great. But I think it's right. also why this song is so good. Like, that there wasn't... Because it stands out so yeah, hard. There, well, it's just that, in general, I think that sometimes people can overproduce themselves. Because they're so they're putting so much of a conscious decision on it where it's like... You know, if you just start throwing shit at the wall and just right. following your creative drive, mm-hmm. you might find something amazing in that. Stumble upon them. Yeah, but it might be surrounded by a bunch of garbage. That's, so yeah, they, they needed a few. They needed to have some more thought put into some of these songs, <laughs> yes. I think. Yes. That's, that's my impression. Granted, and I've said this a lot of times before, some of my favorite bands and artists, the first time I listened to their album, I didn't like it at all. You know, sure. there's so many examples of this. The first time I heard Counting Crows, August and everything after, I thought it was the worst thing I ever heard. Now I think it's the greatest <laughs> album of all time. The first time I heard Jimmy World, I hated it. Uh, when I heard oh. when, I, when I heard Clarity for the first time, I was like, oh, this is so slow and boring. And now I think it's one of the best <laughs> albums of all time. I hated The Streets the first time I heard him. I, like so many things that I love, I hated the first time. I also don't know, like, so it seems like these guys... Well, we know that Danger Mouse was busy collaborating with literally everybody, and CeeLo was just one of them, and they hit it off or whatever, but Mm. maybe both of these guys, I don't know, at the time, CeeLo was a prominent member of the Goody Mob, but I think the Goody Mob was already... Was that still he had already left. Yeah. He had left the group to do solo stuff. All things considered, even though they were both respected in their fields, this was definitely the biggest exposure for both of them at that time. And I think CeeLo Green had his big solo single that like really propelled him further. And then, uh, you know, terrible downfall, (laughs) but like, you know, fuck you was like 
the the next crazy yeah. where it was like the unescapable song for a summer. Danger Mouse definitely like I think prior to this, the most notable thing he had done really was the Grey album where he did the Beatles mixed with Jay-Z right. and that got like a lot of publicity at the time. But this was like both of their giant mainstream successes for themselves. Gotcha. And CeeLo is an example, Matt. Like, who do we talk about that was also a, a one-hit wonder? Tw- oh, yeah. Lamal. <laughs> Kajagugu, yeah. who had a hit, was a one-hit wonder with a band, and then was a one-hit wonder as a solo artist, because CeeLo didn't have any other songs. CeeLo Green also uh, infamously appeared in the movie Mystery Men. Wait. What? In the movie Mystery Men, there's a point where they bring in all of the different gangs and he's going through all the different gangs and he's like, the so-and-so mob, the blah, blah, blah mob. And he goes, the goody mob. And it's CeeLo Green and the rest of goody mob just sitting at the table. How did I? Oh my, I can see that scene in my head right now. And I'm I'm blown away because I did not realize that that was CeeLo. Yeah. And and CeeLo also, when he was on the, was it the voice he was a Yes, yeah. or, or, okay. I, I would say he's probably one of the judges or something. So and, that probably got him back into this vernacular. Right. And and also, I don't know. We're not unaware of the fact that CeeLo had some uh, salacious accusations. Yeah. I, I, people can do their own yes. research on that. I believe that he was found guilty of a lesser charge than he was originally. He hasn't really had much since then, I don't think. I think right. we kind of have moved past. Moved Although on. they're apparently still working on the third Gnarls Barkley album. So like, who knows? Maybe maybe oh, he'll really? make some <laughs> giant return. Maybe they'll put some thought into this one. But anyway, <laughs> this is this is the part of the show where we decide, was Gnarls Barkley a one-hit blunder or did they bring the one-hit thunder? And this this is a tough one. I think they brought the thunder, All man. Right. All right. All right. I'm putting it on. Look, in terms of the follow-up, absolutely not. That's a blunder. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, like, they hit it for once and, like, and that was it. You know, the flash in the pan is now over. <laughs> right, right. I'm going to go Thunder 2 on this because I do think that there are some interesting elements of Saint Elsewhere. I mean, this is definitely the standout track from that album. But even like as I'm looking at what else was hitting the charts, like the biggest singles of that year were Danny Powder's Bad Day and Sexy Back by Justin Timberlake. <laughs> Danny and it's Powder. Like... <laughs> I love how you I love you how you're you're on a nickname basis with Daniel Powder. <laughs> Dan, Danny, yeah, Powder. Danny Powder. Danny Powder. We'll get to him one Good day old. on the show. But like Deaky. I I just I think that just having something this weird and like, you know, we're saying that that Saint Elsewhere was like a whatever album. But right. again, I think that we also have to keep in mind that this was just two buddies collaborating and accidentally had a hit yeah. <laughs> versus like them trying. <laughs> so right. I I feel like if you're just like hanging with your buddy recording some some stuff and you record this song, I got to give some thunder to that. <laughs> yeah. Well, well to that exact point, Matt. <laughs> I would say if you're two buddies hanging out and you accidentally make a a hit song that, you know, that that's kind of a one hit blunder. Like you kind of, (laughs) it's kind of the definition of like you blundered your way right into a hit song, but didn't have any other good songs. More of a meandering, but (laughs) they, they, they hung out, they were shoot. This would be like, so in nine, in 2009, Rolling Stone named this the song of the decade. 
right? So I'm just saying, this is like if you and I were hanging out one weekend and just randomly decided, let's record a podcast about whatever, and we just spent a weekend just recording shit that we thought would only be funny for ourselves, and then it got named the podcast of the decade. Rolling Stone like, names One Hit Thunder, the podcast of the decade. Thanks, like, Rolling Stone. Like, you know uh, I mean? I'd be like, you know what? I don't care if people listen to our show and they're like, man, for a show that's lasted 100 episodes, only three of them are good. I'd be like, well, fucking who cares? Because Rolling Stone thinks that we're great. I don't think Rolling Stone's the end-all, be-all of, no. of anything. <laughs> of judgment. <laughs> So I don't know. Niles Barkley to me is a one hit blunder, but I see your I see yes, both of okay. your point about it being one hit thunder. It's two to one. It, it's thunder. Okay. I guess I, I guess I was more thinking of like the song. The song sure. specifically was the thunder. Sure. And the band Niles Barkley itself was definitely a blunder. Yes. Yeah, gotcha. Gotcha. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, deciding if it's thunder or blunder, that's what. However, you want to make it. I go. I go. Gotcha. I go the 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 whole way. The whole encompassing. Band Got or whatever, it. the but, whole view of it. But, okay, but yeah, the, no, that makes sense. The song's thunderous. I give the song thunder, yes. but but uh, anyway, Katie, <laughs> I hope you had fun on the pod today. I did. Thanks for coming on. Do you have anything you need to promote, real quick? Every once in a while on the Geekscape Games podcast, uh, when I have the time, and I'm also on the Geekscape flagship show. Um, you can always find me at El Sassy Pants on all things. I just had a sketch come out for G4, which was a lot of fun. Uh, Cops in G4, yay! Uh, and that's pretty much what I got in the pan. <laughs> nice. It's it's nice to finally talk to you, Katie. I listen yeah, I listen damn. to you and see you on Geekscape all the time. And now I appreciate your comments. Yeah. <laughs> <a> okay. <lot. laughs> I really do. <laughs> been one hit thunder one hit thunder is hosted by chris Ophelios of the bands punchline pack and another cheetah and produced by matt kelly of geekscape.net underneath me you're hearing the punchline cover of christmas baby please come home off the punk rock christmas volume 2 comp visit punchline.com for info on future punchline shows releases and merchandise punchline will be playing with piebald in lancaster on december 15th at tell us 360 If you see Chris or myself there, say hi. Do you want to hear your song on our show or have any interest in sponsoring an episode? Contact me at matt at geekscape.net for our rates. If you have any interest in podcasting, visit weknowpodcasting.com for how Matt and Chris can make your show sound as professional as possible. Let us know your thoughts on the show by emailing us at onehitthunderpodcast at gmail.com. Make sure to rate, review, and subscribe to us on your favorite podcasting app. And tune in next week for another episode of... One hit thunder. Blessing and death the holes. But it's not like Christmas at all. Cause I remember when you were here. And all the fun we had here. And I was away. I'd hop back this tear. But it's Christmas Day.
You're listening to the Geekscape Network. Hi, this is Chad Nicefield. And this is Justin Press. We're the host of Making Waves, the Shiprock Podcast, a part of the Sound Talent Media Podcast Network. We're inviting you to sail away with us on an epic journey in musical enlightenment. Every week, we bring you only the best artists in rock music and discuss everything from the cruise to the stage to the saga of being a professional recording artist. We'll have lots of special guests along the way, so tune in every week. Your stateroom is available every Monday morning, so welcome aboard. Hello, everybody. I'm Bruce. And I'm Nolan. And this is the Corner of Gray Street Podcast. As longtime Dave Matthews Band fans, we set out to create a podcast to dive deep into the past, present, and future of DMB. Not only do we recap and review shows within an ongoing tour, but we revisit past shows from throughout the band's history, conduct interviews with a wide variety of guests with ties to DMB, and create unique and exclusive content like our Concerts on the Corner series. Whether you're a fan of the band or just a fan of great music, we think you'll find something you'll enjoy. We can't wait to see you on The Corner of Grey Street.